Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, we're going to begin now, uh, pick up, I should say, in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, we're calling this one, Nebuchadnezzar Rejects God's Warning. Nebuchadnezzar rejects God's warning. And it's going to be a very interesting chapter because Nebuchadnezzar is going to have another one of his dreams, okay? And we all remember, if you begin with us from the beginning of Daniel, he had the dream of the statue. Remember the statue of the head of gold, the chest of silver, and remember the bronze, and the legs of iron, and the, the feet of iron and clay. Remember that one? Say amen if you know that one right there. So he had that dream. Daniel is the only one who could interpret it. If he didn't interpret it, all the magi would be killed. So Daniel kind of saves everybody's life. Well, now Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And this time, uh, it's not about a big, great statue. It's about a big, great tree. This massive tree is the next dream uh, on the agenda that God gives him. And the tree really is, uh, the dream, the tree in the dream, is really a warning. It's a warning to Nebuchadnezzar on how he better change and start to serve the only true and living God. And, he, and he's not going to take the warning. I mean, if you know your Bible, you know he's going to go insane. It's what he's going to do. But it's an interesting, interesting, amazing chapter. And... Um, What's going on specifically, I think, too, is that you're going to watch it, and you're going to see where he's actually, he's kind of telling you what, what's happening. In chapter 4, it's like Nebuchadnezzar is giving you his faith journey on how he came to complete surrender and acknowledgement that Yahweh, God, is God. And you'll see in a moment, we get to the first part of it, that it's almost like he's overseeing Daniel writing it out and, and, uh, in this. But you're going to find out that, like, you, like most of us, maybe not all of us, that we learn the hard way sometimes, right? I mean, it's, we learn the hard way. And he's going to learn the hard way, but the hard way got him to the way Yahweh God. One of the hardest things for this man is this, and think about it because every one of us carries a little bit about, of this in our life. Every one of us does. And that is that he is a man, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, we did a little bit of the history as we've gone along. He has conquered. He's a conqueror, is he not? He has defeated big armies. He has sieged Jerusalem. He's conquered over in Egypt. He's done all kinds of stuff. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, he's like the guy. And so he's has, he has war, um, armies surrender to him. Now, how hard would it be then for a man like that to turn around who has everybody surrender to him for him to surrender to God? That's a really tough one if you think about it. But let's take that on a smaller scale in our lives. Isn't that the same with you and I? I mean, we like, um, we like some, some control in our life and you know, we like things surrendering to us. But really, to find true life, and what we found is we've surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest. Every one of us still has some stuff we need to surrender to. Any amens on that? Amen. You could have said that a little louder, okay? Okay. We all have stuff we've got to surrender to. And we uh, can learn the hard way, or we can kind of take the easier way. Now, in chapter 4, I was weighing this out. I typed this out about, this teaching out about three weeks ago. And because um, I try to stay three weeks up on everything. Um, but um, I was going to try the whole chapter. And then as I was going along more and more, because I haven't taught through Daniel here at New Beginnings. It's probably been about 14 years since I taught through Daniel, maybe longer. But um, I thought I, I would do you an injustice if I went that quick. So I'm going to cut the chapter in half. And I'm going to take you through 27 verses tonight. You say, that's still a lot. Yeah, it's a lot for me, but you'll see it'll, it'll make a lot of sense as we go along. And then we'll save next week when really when he goes crazy, uh, we'll do that one next week, okay? So Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to kind of speed a little bit through things, and then I'm going to give application on things, and you've got your notes there, so we should have a good time tonight. Then I'm going to go home and sleep for like 24 hours after this trip I just took, okay? So verse 1, 2, and 3 says this. This is almost like Nebuchadnezzar's laying it out. Ne and he is. Nebuchadnezzar the, uh, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. It, it has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. 
How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Say everlasting kingdom. It's a very important statement. And his dominion is from generation to generation. Now, if you really listen to that, you realize that Nebuchadnezzar is narrating, is he not? It's almost like, and I'm guessing here, that he's standing over Daniel saying, yeah, say this and write this and write this. I I can't tell you that's the way it happened. But it's almost like Nebuchadnezzar is is doing that. Now, in there it says, or he says about God, that God is eternal and God lives forever. That's what he's telling us. Now watch the transition of this man. This is a major transition just in that statement. You're going to keep your finger here and look back at Daniel chapter 2. We're going to just hit these and run. Look at Daniel chapter 2 and verse 4. When you're in that verse, say, I'm there. Okay, look at verse 4. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And by the way, remember that the Bible is written in three languages. Old Testament is Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, and some Aramaic. The Aramaic you find in the book of Daniel. So those are the three languages it's written in. Um, uh, Aramaic. And watch what he said. O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. Who are they saying to, who's going to live forever? King Nebuchadnezzar, right? So they're telling him, you are going to live, O king, live forever. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 9. We'll find something similar right here, 3 verse 9. And it says there, they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, O king, what? Live forever. So now you're finding this, O king, live forever, O king, live forever. But then going back to chapter 4 where we just read, now you see the reversal And Nebuchadnezzar, who has people tell him, you're going to live forever, he turns around and says about God, God, you are eternal. And God, you are going to live, you're the one who lives forever. So now you're seeing the journey in which he's taking in his life, where he's good, where he praises Yahweh. But the question is this, how did he get to this place? What brought him to this moment where he now declares that Yahweh God is God. And what brought you and I to our moment in our life? Because that's a faith journey, is it not? And every one of us has a faith journey in how we got here to the place where we worship God. And we all had a lot of bumps and a lot of bruises along the way, did we not? I know I did. I had a five-year bump and bruise until finally I said, I surrender. Okay, I give up, okay? Now, let's go to um, verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Sounds pretty good, huh? I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Verse seven. Then the magicians the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Now he says, look, I had a dream. What a shocker, right? He's already had some dreams that really, really, really moved us and moved him, I should say. Now, this time, did you notice he does something different than he did in the first dream? In the first dream, he doesn't tell the magi and the conjurers what the dream is. Remember that? They had to tell him the dream, then they tell him the interpretation. This time, he tells them the dream. He says, here's the dream, now give me the interpretation. So he's going a whole different way. And you have to kind of speculate on why why does he go this way? And and, and my guess is just a guess, is maybe he figured they can't tell him what it is anyway, so might as well tell them. It's going to be Daniel anyway He's going to tell him. So you know, maybe that's what he did. Uh, he felt like there's no point in holding it from them. I'm just going to wait till Daniel gets here and, and we'll move from there. So he lays it out there. He's going to lay it out there as he's telling us his, uh, his faith journey. Now let's go to verse 8 and verse 9. Now watch this. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. Notice the plurality there. We'll get to that in a second. And I related the dream to him. So he tells Daniel the dream. 
Verse 9, O Belteshazzar, and by the way, if you've joined us just recently, Belteshazzar is the Chaldean name, the Babylonian name that they gave to Daniel when Daniel was deported as a teenager in the Babylon. So that's who he's talking to. Uh, O Belteshazzar, verse 9, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now, Two things of note in your notes. First bullet point when it says two things of note. And that is Daniel is the head of the magicians. You might just want to say of the magi. You could just do it that M-A-G-I. You could do magicians, you could do magi. Any, any word you want to use there. Now, I want to take you on a little journey, okay? Because I think this is a really, really interesting one. We know, um, look at chapter 5 and verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 7, it says, um, there's a, and we'll, I just want to show you one statement here and go back. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father. Illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the, chief of the magicians, chief of the magi. He's called the, it's called the Rob Mog, is what he is. He is the chief of the Magi. Daniel is in that position. Now, with that said, this is where we find the answer, or I should say, more understanding as to why the Magi followed a star that took them to Bethlehem over a house where the Messiah Jesus uh, was he wasn't born there. He was already a toddler by the time they got there. It's not, he didn't, they didn't go to the manger area. The Magi came to that. This is how we know that they got some kind of information because haven't you ever wondered when you read the gospel story, why do the Magi, who are Persians, who live a thousand miles away, they're not Jewish, how would they know to even, why a star? Why are they following? Have you ever wondered those things? This is where we find the answers. In, in the whole uh, gospel. Now, <clears throat> so Daniel comes to, to Babylon, remember 605, somewhere B.C., around there, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar sieges Jerusalem, he's deported. He rises up quickly. Now we know he's the Rob Mog. He's the head of the Magi. Now, Daniel, now, as the head of the Magi, he's passing out information to the Magi because he's the head of the Magi. Because 500 years after he dies is going to come to the point where these magi are going to go and look for the Messiah. So how do they know this? How do they get to this place to follow a star and travel a thousand miles to find this king? So keep your marker here, and I'm going to show you a couple things very quickly. Go to Numbers, way to your left. You guys interested in stuff like this? Because if you're not, I could just scoot on. No, I like it. I like it. Okay, we're going to go to Numbers 22. Now, how many remember a man by the name of Balaam who had a donkey? Remember that guy? Okay, Balaam's donkey. We, this is the Old Testament story. Now, verse 22, verse 5 of Numbers says this. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pathor. Say Pathor, which is near the river. The river's the Euphrates River, guys. In the land of the sons of his people to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land. They are living opposite me. So now we find this guy Balaam. Who's, you know, he's a prophetic seer type. He lives in, he's from an area of Pathor, which is near the Euphrates. What big city that Daniel's dwelling in is on the Euphrates River? And that is, it's Babylon. So these people are in the same area uh, he's in, a, in that area where Daniel will come later in life. Now, this guy, and by the way, can I tell you another cool thing? Yeah? yeah? Okay, good. Balaam, you know how they try to always tell you, well, that person never existed. There's no evidence that person. You ever hear stuff like that? And then the Bible, archaeology, I should say archaeology proves the Bible's true. You ever hear that? Well, Balaam, for a long time, there was no evidence this guy existed. And then something happened. 
they found some inscription that said that this guy Balaam did live in ancient times. And he really was this person. And I like stuff like that that proves people wrong again about the Bible. Amen? Now, I have heard teachers way smarter than me say that this guy Balaam was really the guy that founded the Magi. I don't know how they proved that, but I've heard teachers say things like that. But I want to show you something that connects him, Magi, star, da-da, Messiah. Move two chapters forward to chapter 24 of Numbers. Now watch this verse. Because you have Balaam here, and he's operating in this, in this office of seer, and he says this in verse 17 of Numbers 24. Watch this. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Who do you think he's talking about? It's a messianic verse right there. Absolutely. And he says, a star shall rise and a scepter. Now you take that from this guy Balaam, who many believe was the founder of the Magi, and you put it together, this idea of a star and a scepter, because it's a prophetic verse. This is biblical stuff right here. Daniel would know this verse. He would understand this verse. And so Daniel comes along. He takes office. He rises up as the mug. The Mog, Rob Mog, as the head of the Magi, he instructs these Magi, look for a star, because a king, a scepter, a king will rise, a Jewish king will rise, and Daniel knows all the prophecies. He's a very intelligent man, and he says there's going to be a star. So the possibility exists that one night when they're sitting there in, in that area of the world in modern-day Persia, and they see something unique because these magi, they are also kind of like astronomer-type guys, and they know differences in the night sky, and so they see this star, and this thing has been handed down for 500 years from Daniel before him, Balaam, in the Old Testament. You're going to look for the star, and they go, that's it. That's it. And they begin their travels. And they travel about 800 to 1,000 miles looking for this Messiah. And they're following the star that takes them eventually right over the house where Jesus is now, he's about a toddler by that time, where he is dwelling with the family. Is that awesome or what? I think it's just a cool thing. So that's a free one. Double tithe on that Sunday. No, I'm just joking, okay? No. <laughs> I'm really punchy, okay? Uh, it's been a long day. So, now, bullet point number two. Let's move on. Nebuchadnezzar is on a spiritual journey, which I stated earlier, but now let me dr drill down a little bit more, a little bit more as I go along. Now, going back to Daniel 4. Get back to Daniel 4 again. Now, he's on a spiritual journey. How do I deduce this? How, how do I come to that conclusion, spiritual journey? Well, look over here at verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. I'm going to brush through quick. Notice it says... He's talking about Daniel came in before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in whom is a spirit of the what? Holy what? Holy God. So remember, in Babylon, um, there's 1,197 temples to all these false idols. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar is polytheistic. He you know what that means, right? He believes in many gods. Daniel is a man who believes in one God, Yahweh God. We believe in one God, in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? You read your scriptures, it says there's one God through and through. You read Isaiah chapters 44 to 48, one God, one God, one God. But we know three persons. Now you're saying, how do you explain that? Look, I don't even try anymore. I just know when we all get there, I say, Jesus, explain it, please, because it's, it's a tough one, okay? My little finite pea brain, I, I just can't, you're smarter than me, Jesus, just tell them, okay? Because I never could. So maybe he'll have a Tuesday night for us, and we get there, and you know the whole shot, okay? Now, so he's saying of the holy gods, right? So we know he doesn't believe in just the one God, only God, Yahweh, right? He also calls Daniel Belteshazzar. Remember, he got the name Belteshazzar, Bel, B-E-L, is one of the false gods of Babylon. And so now you're, you're listening to Nebuchadnezzar from his own lips. He's this guy who's not even close to knowing Yahweh God, believes in many gods, and he's learning little by little from this guy Daniel that there is only one God. 
So he is on this spiritual journey. Does that make sense? Now, let me tell you why that's important. Pray all the time that God gives you opportunity to share your faith. Do it, please. And then on the heel of that prayer, pray that God gives you boldness to step through that door. Okay? And don't worry about the words. He'll give you the words. The Holy Spirit promises that. But always remember this. And maybe this would be a good way to remember it. Is that, do you see the journey this man's on? He has a whole belief system all his life that's polytheistic. In all these false gods. And, he, and God's getting to a place where you're only going to believe in one God, the God, Yahweh God. That's what you've got to remember when you're sharing with people, witness to them. They're on a journey, right? You're breaking down all these old misconceptions about God and worldview and everything, right? So remember that. Remember that. Don't walk away, oh, they don't get it. Of course they don't get it. They're like Nebuchadnezzar. It's going to take some time. You're breaking through layers and layers and layers of preconditioning in the mind. The same way it had to be broken through through you and through me. So never forget that. So you keep praying, you keep pushing, and you keep reaching those people. Now, let's get into the dream, okay? I'm going to read the dream, verses 10 through 17, then I'm going to go back and give you bullet points on it um, that I think are kind of, that'll give you more, more understanding. 10 through 17. Now these were uh, the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. So now he sees a big old tree. The tree grew large, verse 11, and became strong. And its height reached to the sky. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all the beasts of the field. The beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. And behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. That's a big statement. He shouted out and spoke as follows, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven Let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. It's a mouthful, huh? That's quite a dream. No wonder he's a little bit, you know, dazed and confused. Dream points. Dream, here we go. Number one, the tree is a man. Symbolic of a man. Because we know the tree begins in verse 10. We know in verse 16, he talks about the mind of a man in the tree. So we know the tree represents a man. That's the first thing you want to find out. Number two, it is beautiful and has good fruit for food. It's both beautiful, it's got some good fruit for food. We find that in verse 12. He says the foliage is beautiful, the fruit is abundant, the food is good for all the bees. He says that. Now, think, think. The tree is beautiful, and it's got beautiful, good-looking fruit for food. What does that take your mind to immediately? The garden. It should take your mind to the garden. The Garden of Eden. Because the tree looked really good, and it had fruit on there, fruit that looked really good to eat. 
So now you, there's, there's parallels to this chapter in that as, and we'll go along through that. Now, I want to I wanna side note and then get back. I just got to say a side note quick because we can get legalistically um, rigid in our beliefs if we're not careful on certain things. Um, we know that Nebuchadnezzar is very successful, right? He has flourished. We know he's used the creativity of himself and the people around him to build this beautiful place, the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven great wonders of the world. We know all the creativity, all the flourishing, all the success. We know that in verse uh, 4, we just read that he's in his house, flourishing in my palace, which is the idea of plush foliage and everything like that. Let me tell you something. God is not against us using our creativity. He's not against us being successful. He's not against us flourishing. If you've ever thought that, get that out of your mind. That is not why Nebuchadnezzar is going to go out of his mind. That is not why he's going to be judged. He's going to be judged for a whole other reason. You use your creativity. You use your, your abilities to succeed in life. You just have to make sure you keep your compass right with God. Amen? See, when God blesses you and you begin to succeed, remember, you're blessed to be a what? A blessing to other people. And once you forget that, then you begin to lose. You begin to diminish in your life because it's God who brings all these things through our life. He's given us these abilities to do. You know, uh, Deuteronomy 8 says, He's given you and I the power to make wealth. He has given that to us, and we can do that. And when we start doing that, we look and see, how can I bless? Keep your ear open. Oh, they need help over here. You watch what God will open up for you. And you're given this ability to help other people. Amen to that one right there? Now, number three, here it is. Like ancient Babel, he is seeking to make a name for himself. That's his mistake. A name for himself. That's his mistake. Now, let me piece it. We've already stated that it kind of seems like it's the Garden of Eden replaying, right? Yeah, that's interesting. But let me show you one more thing that fits somewhere else. In verse 13, it says, I was looking in the visions in my mind and as I lay on my bed, behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. Okay, now we've got some kind of angelic being descending from heaven. He's coming down. Now, an angelic being comes down, descending from heaven, and he's coming down to take a look at this. Where does that take your mind? To where? The Tower of Babel. They were building the Tower of Babel. Babel existed before Babylon in the same area, hundreds of years before. And remember, they built that because they're making a name for themselves. Remember that? God comes down to look at it to see what they're doing, because remember, it's uh, how, re how ridiculous. They're going to build this tower to reach God, and God goes, wow, that's really cool, but I still got to come way down to see what you're doing, okay? Never forget that. And so now you see in the same situation, God came down and babbled to see what they're doing, and now you see an angelic being coming down to Nebuchadnezzar, who's glorifying himself in his situation. Isn't that wild? Because he's, he's, made, he's trying to make a name for himself. <clears throat> Do you remember uh, week one or two in, in Daniel, in this series? Um, we said archaeological digs have shown that I think it's 90% of all the bricks that were used to build the city of Babylon had Nebuchadnezzar's name somehow engraved in there. Anybody remember that? He's making a name for himself. He's making a name for himself. God's not against his creativity. God's not against him being successful. But the problem is you are glorifying yourself. You are stamping your name on this. You are making it about you, and it's not about you. Now, the fourth point here about this dream. Nebuchadnezzar becomes an animal. He becomes an animal. Now, verse 16, going back at that, it says, Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. Okay. Um, next week, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, cause this is the issue I'm just going to go crazy on. Is that okay to say that? I'm going to go nuts on it, okay? But I'm going to tease you right now. 
a little bit. I want you to think. I I like when, when we think about these things. The tree. Is it pleasant to look at? Does the food look good? Yes. What does that remind us of again? Garden of Eden. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar. What does he think he is? He thinks he's God. What did the serpent tell Eve? Eve, you'll be a? Oh, now you have more of that play now. It's not done yet, though. Nebuchadnezzar is going to go out of his mind and become a what? Animal. Okay. It doesn't say anywhere in here that when he's out there for seven seasons, seven years, acting like an animal, that he cannot still speak the language to be understood. So he would be animal-like and yet still speaking. Do we find that in the Garden of Eden? There is a serpent, is there not? Is a serpent walks around and he's able to speak and they understand the language. So now you've got these four, crazy? Now you've got this this oh man looks really good and the fruit is good for food and you here's Nebuchadnezzar you'll be a god and there's an animal that speaks and he's that animal right there and I mean everything in what I just told you um, making ourselves god and going crazy animalistic thinking that is exactly what is imploding and eroding our society today it's exactly it. It's exactly the problem. We think we're God. We think we know better. And I'm not talking about us. We, we follow the scriptures. But people think, they go with what they think, what they feel, but really they're becoming animalistic in their thinking, thinking they know the answers and they don't have answers. Instead, they're eroding society. And he goes for seven years of, of, of crazy. Now, next week, we're going to take that We'll just blow it up. We'll just blow it because that is the problem in our society right now. This is where things are moving that we need to be praying and we need to be the Christians evangelizing, pushing back on these things. Now, he is going to lose his mind because he's self-promoting. Self-promotion leads to self-deterioration. Now, verse 18 and 19. This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while, as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dreamer's interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, my lord, oh gosh, he's, Daniel shook. My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you. But its interpretation, and its interpretation to your adversaries. Okay, look up. He tells him that, and Daniel must have really looked shook up because Nebuchadnezzar goes, it's okay. Tell me, tell me the interpretation. And he goes, oh king, if only this applied to your enemies, not you. Now you get the feeling this is bad. This is really, really bad. Now let me take an application that I like to share periodically and I'll tell you why in a second. Bullet point. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Are they not? He says, do you think Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel had a good friendship relationship by now? It's been years ago, yeah. He says, okay, Daniel, tell me. Tell me the truth. Tell me what I need to know. And Daniel cares enough to confront and tell him the truth. What I'm going to say next, you've kind of heard me say it in different ways. And I say this because I just don't like church bullies. And, and, and I, for if, this may only help one person in this room in your church life or work life or family life or somewhere. But um, it took me a long time to understand really how 
You've heard the verse, speak the truth in love, right? Yeah, we've heard that verse. That's a well-known verse. But it took me a long time to really get it, to really, how does this thing work? And I finally came to certain conclusions from the verse, not just because I felt that way, but if I need, you know, you finally realize things looking at Jesus and watching these things and realizing, um, and I hope this helps somebody. Not everyone is your corrector. Do you know that? Because if you don't know that, you need to know that. Every church, including New Beginnings, because every church has imperfect people, right? If you're not sure, just look around. Okay, we're all imperfect. But every church has some, we'll just call them onboard terrorists. They're born again, I mean, but they're onboard terrorists. They're Pharisees in the lobby. And they exist in their mind only to correct everyone. You ever met one? They're dangerous people, really. They really are. They, 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 I know in my, I'm, I'm a type A, but profit-motivated type. In that type of gifting, I have tendencies to be that type of person. I don't want to be that person. But I know I could be if I let myself go thinking it's my job to go correct everybody around. I just tell people, now look, you grew, let them grow, okay? I'll say, unless it's some bad, bad situation, then it's like, okay, I've got to do something about that. But they're going to walk around, if they're hanging around a little bit, they're going to find something to correct in you. And once you hear, you know, once you take it, they're going to come back again at you for nothing. And they're going to come back again for nothing. Now, You want to be around, you want to take it from people who speak the truth in love. Now let me give you kind of what that means. Love. Speak the truth in love. So love is the relational part, is it not? You build relationship with people. You know people. You know them. They know you. You hang out with people. You've built friendship with people. You have history with people. You trust each other, these people. That's the love part. And so once you have the love part and you've built it over time, speak the truth in love, love, now you can speak the what? Truth. And, and they're not, this is not a weekly, well, this week I'm going to tell you some more truth. It's not like that. It's like, when you see someone that needs to be spoken to, and a real good friend, you go, let me, let me talk to you. And you have built trust, and you've built friendship. And that's when you're able now to speak into a person's life. Look, I'll show you from my own life. Um, look, people come at me left and right. I don't know if you know that. They come at me here, they come at me in the lobby. Messenger, they come at me, man. And... When I was a younger minister, I, I took a lot of it. I just don't take it anymore. I, I really don't. And I'm not going to. Because I'm not going to give in to their imaginary thoughts in their imaginary mind that they can control me in the church. And I finally came to those realizations years ago. If, I don't, if they're not really close to me, they're not going to come and speak into my life. I may sit there and go, but that's about it, guy. I'll be honest with you. But if we're really good friends, I know you and you, because Jim, you know, there's this thing, and I'll listen. Because I, you, I know you know me. I know you. You, I know you love me. It's like you wouldn't have picked, you wouldn't have done this otherwise, except that I know you love me because you've proven that. And so I'm always real careful now with anything like that. Um, when anybody tries, especially messenger. Oh gosh, um, I'm always real careful. And sometimes I've had to just block people um, because you just live in a day where you cannot get away from people you just can't and so I always watch that but I'm not saying this for my sake I'm saying this for somebody in this room that people you allow people to always come and control and correct you and control and and they have no relationship with you you don't have to do that they have no relationship with you whatsoever and you speak the truth in love. Love is the relational part, and once you have the relational part, now you can speak the truth because you built the relationship to speak the truth. Does that make any sense? Yes. Okay, good. Because if we don't operate that way, 
It's just dysfunction is what it is. And that's all it is. And so within that, you have to learn to have a lot of grace, don't you? Especially profit-motivated people like me, when I see certain things or sins, like, you know, you feel like, I got to go speak to it. You don't even know them. You don't even know them. You think they're really going to listen to you or me? We don't even know them. No, you build a relationship with people. Now, let's move on. Oh, yeah, we better move on. Um, verse 20. I'm going to read 20 to 26. Try to drive this thing home. We're going to get to verse uh, 27. The tree that you saw, here comes Daniel, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in those branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king. Can you imagine? He says, it's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the the tree that's going to get cut down. Oh, gosh. For you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over. In verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you may be driven away from mankind in your dwelling place, be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whoever he wishes. In other words, guys, you're not the ruler of the world. God is the ruler of the world. That's what he just told him right there. In other words, you and I are not the ruler of our life. God is the ruler of our life. Remember that. Verse 26. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots and the tree. Your kingdom will be, of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Oh my gosh. That's a mouthful. But here's the good news. Bullet point. God always leaves room for mercy. Once the tree was chopped down, what was left? Stump and the roots. That's a good thing, huh? Because God always has mercy. He has grace and He has mercy. God doesn't wipe us out. He cuts the things off that will destroy us and then He says, we've still got some good roots here. Let's grow some good fruit on this tree. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Where God says, we're going to cut that out of your life, Jim, and that out of your life, and that out of your life, but we're leaving the good foundation, the root system of Christ, and we're going to grow some good stuff in your life. And that's what he does right there. Now, verse 27. And by the way, doesn't it give Nebuchadnezzar hope? And don't we need hope? Yeah, verse 27. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Now, Daniel clearly names the sins of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to name off real quick in your notes, three things. Nebuchadnezzar sins. He neglects righteousness. Christians, we're to walk righteous. You don't, you don't know how many times I get so fired up inside when I see Christians posting on Facebook of their lifestyle and thing. Don't do that. Don't do stuff like that. Why, why are you posting it? Why, why are you glorifying this stuff? Next he says, Nebuchadnezzar says, he didn't give mercy to the poor. And we know dictators past and present always build their kingdoms, personal kingdoms, on the shoulders of the poor, right? They always do. That's what dictators do. And the third thing is pride. 
Because that goes back to verse 26 in that he did not recognize it's heaven that rules and not himself. Let's pray. So let me close it up. I got a close and a close close. I only have two, okay? <laughs> okay, so let's, uh, you're not coming back here. Um, let's go to uh, Psalm 75. Oh, close. Psalm 75. So God tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to, you're, you're going to go, you're not the king anymore, guy. You're going to know I'm the king. Here's a reality that's, let's warm up to tonight. Look at uh, chapter 75 of Psalms and look at verse 6. Notice what, what, what the psalmist says about God. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation. But God is a judge. He puts down one and what? Exalts another. You see, you got, here's, this is a hard concept for Christians, I think, at time, for, for all of us at time. It's a, whether you're the king of Babylon or you're rising up in the job, or you're there, God raises up one and he puts down another. Does he not? Yeah. You say, well, it's not fair. I think I should be the boss. I don't know why God has you here and that guy who's a full-blown heathen there, but somehow God has raised up one and put down another. And maybe there's things to learn in our life. Any amens? I'm not brilliant enough or smart enough or have wide enough knowledge to know why God doesn't just promote all of you people. <laughs> when you know in your mind you should be promoted, right? But God raises up one and puts down another. And we trust that's God who does it and he will do it in our life at the right time when and if we are ready. And if that's our position. Now, let me give you my close close. Let's go back to the stump. Um, God leaves room for grace and mercy. Does he not? Thank God that he doesn't just cut our lives down and that's it. But he leaves the stump and he leaves the roots to grow back the right stuff. One of the greatest little verses, and I'm sure you've caught it when you've read through Judges. We know that Samson messed it up, right? I mean, that guy from the get-go He's taken a Nazarite vow and immediately you see him by a vineyard. He's not supposed to be by those things. Remember, he takes the honey out of a dead lion. He can't touch dead things. He's taken a Nazarite vow. This guy, what are you doing? Remember when he kills all those people with the, with the jawbone of a donkey? Remember that one? Is that jawbone a dead thing? He can't touch that. He's not supposed to be touching that. And so what happens to him? He falls for the Philistine woman and you know, he goes down, she clips his hair, because the hair was a symbol. Really, it was the vow he made to God, and he broke the vow, broke it, he broke it, he broke it, he broke it. And there he, you find him pushing that uh, millstone around there, and can you imagine this one great, once great man of God who fought for Israel, who drove back in, there he is blind, just pushing that thing around. What a fall, right? But here's the great verse in that fall. It says, and Samson's hair began to grow again. Did you ever catch that one? It states it. And Samson's hair began to grow again. See, there may be times when God chops us down because we're not acknowledging. Because we're not living this thing right. And you know what? Don't go blaming them and blaming them and those people should... Stop it. Do the right thing. And your hair will grow back again. Because God leaves the stump and God leaves the roots. Everybody needs grace. Everybody needs mercy. Now, let me tie something on the end of that. Can I tie one more thing? Just real quick, and I don't have time to expand it. Go to Colossians chapter 4. It's not in your notes, but I jotted this down. I thought it would fit. Grace and mercy. We all need it, and thank God for it. And Samson's hair began to grow back again. We all need grace and mercy. Now look at Colossians 4, 6. This is when you're going back and sharing with people and sharing your faith and talking to people. Verse 6 says this, of Colossians 4. Let your speech, well, back at verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, meaning unbelievers, making the most of the opportunity. Now, how do we make the most of our opportunity in sharing our faith? What's one of the things he's going to tell us? Verse 6, 
let your speech always be with what? Grace. Grace. Hmm. But notice the next statement. As though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Do people need grace? Yeah. When you cook, let's say, I don't know, let's say you're making a pot of spaghetti, you don't take a similar size pot filled with salt and just go, do you? That would be really bad. You maybe take a pinch of salt, right? You can't put too much salt in there. When you share your faith with people, you can't put too much salt. When you're trying to reach somebody to come to Christ, you can't salt them and say, stop that sin. You're sinning here. You're sinning. That's just salt, man. You got to give them grace. Show them the grace of God and what God has done. And you can throw your pinches of salt in there, but you got to give them grace. You got to give them grace. Everybody needs it. You need it. I need it. We all need it. Amen? Amen. Okay, we'll pause there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have this man, Nebuchadnezzar, his life, a life that was lived um, 2,600 years ago. A man that really existed in history. But a man who came to acknowledge and know Yahweh, the true God. God, we're grateful for the applications we can take from this and learn from this, that we are not the rulers of our life. You're the ruler of our life. It's heaven that rules. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to glorify your name. And we thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy to us sinners. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.